yes, out of panic. But also, there was that weird thing, and I think most comic freelancers or any freelancer uh, gets it, is that all my neighbors, everyone I knew, all of a sudden were working from home. And like that was my thing. <laughs> like it, like so so all of a sudden like my days almost got more um more active because like all of a sudden like my neighbors are all around. Because instead of going to the office they were at home. So I like I actually I relished um kind of like holding away in my, my studio in my backyard so I could just focus on the work. But like I was at a weird point too in my career because like I I just finished negotiating with Marvel in which I was no longer exclusive with them. And so DC stuff kind of came around uh, Batman the night. And, uh, and that became kind of my pandemic project. Like the fact that they weren't like the publishing schedule had changed meant like I could really focus on that book. And we got so far ahead on it too. It was like, I think by the time issue one came out, we'd done eight issues. We had eight issues in the can. Mm -hmm. So it was weird because it took the pressure off for publishing because publishing got pushed back. Um, but I had the pressure in my freelance brain of, oh, uh, everything's collapsing. I need to uh, get work while I can. And, and yeah. being kind of a, a free agent between DC and Marvel made that a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, that never, especially as a freelancer, that never really goes oh, no. away. Everything just always feels tenuous at all times. No, having to train myself to say no after years of being a freelance illustrator was just like, so hard so hard to be like oh actually no i can't do this or my wife will leave me <laughs> because it's too much like even even now like going into 2023 i still had 13 projects ongoing projects that were on my uh desk and i've got it down to eight now and i keep promising my family and my friends that that number is just going to get smaller and smaller <laughs> as we go on um now that i'm trying to ease out of that panic do you find that that's just generally, you generally operate better when you have multiple projects to jump around between. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's one of those things I always have to explain to my loved ones because they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you have so many projects. Like, you know, uh, you work too much. I'm like, oh, I'd be working the same amount if I only had like two projects. Yeah. It takes as long as it takes. And like, especially with writing, if I know I have to get it done by next week, I'll get it done by next week. If I know I have to get it done by next month, I'll get it done by next month. And there'll be a lot of kind of like fiddling around <laughs> in the meantime, if I've got like a whole month to do a thing. Um, so yeah, I find, I find my brain works better when there's like a lot on the go. I like putting out fires. That's like my biggest yeah. thing. I, I need there to be fires because I need to put them out. I do think that that's something that people that have never freelanced don't appreciate is how important it is to have specifically a deadline. And then obviously there's this idea of killing your darlings, you know, Mm -hmm. because, because it would be very easy to just completely obsess over a single issue or panel. Yeah, for sure. And it's also good just to, uh, especially with comics and because I I tend to do a wide variety of stuff to tonally switch around when you get too deep into a thing. Like right now I'm doing Batman and Daredevil and that's actually not good for my brain Mm. because they're, because they're both, Daredevil, the way I'm kind of writing the character, it's a bit more of a serious take, but like writing kind of the grim, gritty superhero uh, is fun, but when it kind of consumes most of your life, (laughs) it's like (laughs) you can kind of, you can feel a little bit of depression kind of sinking in. Like, I'm I'm glad I got my own thing with public domain going on the side because that feels lighter, even though the uh, 
the subject matter isn't necessarily. So when working on a grim and gritty project, then your brain clicks into grim and gritty mode all the time? Yeah, you put on the kind of the sad operatic music and tune out the world. And, you know, I've got a Batman playlist for sure. And it's very similar <laughs> to the Daredevil playlist. And I don't, I don't have anything quite light, like, you know, we were talking before this about Jughead. You know, I used to do Jughead, and that was great. Like, that was so light. Like, you could balance anything out with Jughead. And I don't quite have that right now, partly because, like, there's not a big push for comedy books right now with the companies. So it would be harder to yeah. kind of get those kind of off the ground. Public domain is probably, you know, the exception because I'm able to kind of couch that in, uh, and kind of family drama stuff. Look at me pushing my creator home work on an interview about Batman. I got a lot of Batman questions. Sorry. What is on the Batman playlist? I mean, a lot of Batman. <laughs> like, okay. basically, like, like scores? Yeah, scores, scores from uh, all the movies and, um, uh, and the scores from like a lot of Max Richter stuff, the guy who did like the leftovers. And um, oh, what's another one? There's like, if Beale Street could talk. Okay. Uh, so I'm just looking it up here. He's pulling up the playlist right now. I'm pulling up the playlist. Yeah, if Beale Street could talk, um, Nicholas Bertel. Nicholas Bertel is a great uh, composer. And, and that score in particular is really haunting and kind of elegant. And um, it kind of gets me into that uh, brain space a bit. What is the process like for you in those months leading up to taking the reins on a series like Batman? Batman is its own thing because it is so big. And um, I mean, it, it's DC's like, it's weird to say it, but it's like kind of their biggest book in, in terms of like the monthly schedule stuff. Like you'll have like yeah. kind of the outliers and miniseries. It's Batman, right? And it happened really fast for me. Uh, during a period where I was too busy because I just started doing the Substack stuff. So <laughs> when I when I was offered the book by uh, Marie and uh, uh, Ben Abernathy, it was just like a Zoom call kind of out of the blue. And um, mm. I just started kind of holding my head. And I almost started <laughs> crying as I started talking because I'm like, "You please don't <laughs> offer this to me now. Not right now. I just signed a Substack deal. Like I'm writing and drawing a book. I can't. And I, I, I didn't say no outright, but I definitely said, I, I've got to go think about it because I, I mm-hmm. can't figure out the schedule of it. They were very accommodating, but the, the timeline was, was very quick on it. So with, with any book I get offered, uh, Marvel and DC, like I know there are a lot of creators who already have ideas for these characters. Like yeah. they have notebooks filled with their ideas from when they were kids or something. And mm-hmm. They're just waiting to unleash them. And I, I don't have that. Like, I do not think about potential storylines for characters unless I'm actively working on them. So Batman was like most of the offers I've had over the years where I had to go away, think about it, not say yes right away and see if I had a story I wanted to tell. Mm. If it was worth, there have been times in the past with like Marvel and DC where um, I didn't, I love the character, but I just didn't. Um, I was offered like to write uh, the flash uh, it was like backup stories. I think when Josh Williamson was starting and I was like, it's one of my favorite characters. Sure. And I went away and I started to think about it. I'm like, I came up with some ideas. I'm like, Oh no, these aren't things I really want to do. 
And yeah. so I, I, I said, no, um, those moments are a little heartbreaking when you realize you don't have anything, but I had something for Batman. And, uh, the more I thought about it, the more excited I got. So then it just became, uh, a part of, uh, pitching it to them saying yes, pitching it fully and, and seeing where they, uh, where they stood on it. And, and they liked my plans. Thank God. <laughs> that would have been a little heartbreaking. And yeah, yeah, I had, I had to kind of basically present like kind of the first year what I was thinking. Um, because that's the other thing with the bigger characters is they really need to know what's happening to Batman because I don't know if you know this, but he shows up books, in a yeah. lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and also with a character like that, it's got to be passed by kind of higher levels than um, yeah. what I'm usually used to. Because uh, I've either, you know, working on something like Daredevil from Marvel, it's like, okay, Daredevil's off on his own. You can do whatever you want with the character. Working on Spider-Man, you have to run stuff by people, but I wasn't on the main book there. But with Batman, it's like, okay, if I'm going to, like, I don't know, give him a haircut, like, the mm. toy department needs to find out about it. <laughs> like, somebody needs to know above yeah. um, even my editors what my plans are for the character, because it's got to be reflected, like, across the brand, really. So so that's that's kind of a new thing for me in, in the pitch. And then it was, just, it was just hitting the ground and just starting to write get a feel for the character you know the first issue always takes the longest and there's some pressure because uh the artist jorge jimenez um he wasn't supposed to start until later because he had another project he was going to do his mark miller book and uh and then that didn't happen until much later obviously it's coming out now so all of a sudden i had to deliver scripts really quickly (laughs) so that was a lot of pressure but exhilarating too because like no matter how jaded you get writing kind of superhero stories for companies, like there's something really cool when you're like, and then he pulls out a batarang typing these things mm-hmm. out. And you know, the Batmobile yeah. roars to life. Like um, it still tickles apart uh, in your big kid brain. Yeah. And then we were just, we were off to the races. Like it, everything happened really fast. Jorge is a machine. He's a dynamo producing amazing pages on, an intense schedule and staying upbeat about it and staying handsome. Like, uh, great hair too. Yeah. I know if I wasn't working directly with him, I'd hate him. (laughs) But as it is, I love him. So really keeping that going and that momentum going has been a challenge, but also been a lot of fun. You pitched that effectively like a year's worth of a book to Marie and company. And then you have to effectively hew close to that for, the the rest of the year yeah yeah i mean they're always kind of like curveballs thrown at you uh sometimes characters you can't use because they're in other books or plans mm. change um i like to work really far ahead which my editors appreciate but also can cause problems uh down the line uh when i have to go back and rewrite a thing because i don't know green lantern is no longer green lantern or just as an for example but yeah, yeah, you, you stick as closely as you can to the plan. But also, like, if the story presents something new as you're writing it, you just you just ask the editor if like it's okay to change this thing. You know, I've had I've had experiences in the past because of the multiple artist nature on some books, where I, I'd be feeding kind of three artists at the same time on like three different issues, <laughs> and uh, with with gaps in between them. And I have had times where I'm like, 
in a later issue that's being drawn first, I have a character who I decide to kill in an earlier issue. And so they have to redraw that character because I've mm. made this decision, but it works so well for the story and complications arise like that. But um, because Jorge's so fast, like he's able to really kind of dig into a full arc when we, when we have him on the book. And then Mike Hawthorne with the second arc was like uh, a similar thing. They're both just like entirely too professional. I imagine like that in that blurred background, you've got one of those like Pepe Silvio um, cork boards behind you to really to, <laughs> to map out all these moving pieces. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. No, I mean, I'm in like a bare room. I've, <laughs> I've moved to like this tiny island and then I brought none of my stuff. Yeah, no, like keeping track is actually really, really hard. And like sometimes you'll have situations show up where, God, I think there was like one month where I had three issues out of three separate books and each of them had a scene with a funeral on a rainy day with a mysterious figure standing far away from it. And it's like, you just feel like a total hack when that happens. You're like, <laughs> Oh my God. But like, you're trying to keep track yeah. of everything and uh, writing things so far apart and the release schedule is all weird. Yeah. That's the problem with the multiple projects. As you alluded to, you've written a lot of these iconic characters previously, but it's weird. Is there a sense in which, you know, coming on to, I mean, especially Batman and Batman is still in his own league, obviously. Is it intimidating, you know, in a sense, given, given like the history, given how invested fans are and given like the people who have come before you? Well, one of the great things that happened after uh, it was publicly announced, is I got an email from a comics legend and grumpy old man, Mark Wade. Mm hmm. <laughs> in which he congratulated me on the gig and then said um uh you may not know this but uh batman is the character in all of history who's had the most stories written about mm. the character mm -hmm. um good luck finding a new uh idea love mark yeah <laughs> so yeah. like the 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 breadth of stories in history is uh a little intimidating but Overall, I don't find the job intimidating um, because it's just a story. Uh, I, I'm, I'm tackling it the way I would tackle Howard the Duck. I want to make the best comic I can sure. uh, within the, the guardrails that have been provided by the company and the marketplace and whatever. Um, uh, every once in a while in the back of my head, there's a little voice that says, oh, DC's fourth quarter. I uh, would really appreciate it if you <laughs> sold more Batman comics. I'm like, okay, all right, little voice, I get it. Yeah. But the the hope is just that if you make a story that you enjoy, that you stand behind, then the book will sell and people will enjoy it, and you won't uh, you won't run afoul of fans. But I also know, like, the, the bigger the bigger the character and with the bigger the history. Um, you just can't please everyone. It's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. There's, just, there's no way. Yeah. Well, because also everyone's just got their own idea of what the character should or should not be. And because the character of Batman, there are so many versions of the character and they all work. You can have an Adam West story. You can have a Frank mm -hmm. Miller story. You can have a, a Brubaker story. Uh, and they're all different versions of the character, but they all work because the, the character is so malleable. And has been around for a zillion years. So, uh, so someone might not want solo grim and gritty Batman. Maybe they want like kind of paternal Batman, or they might not want cosmic Batman. They want like street level Batman. And it's like, well, 
uh, I, I can't I can't please everyone, so yeah. I gotta just kind of like do what I do, and I, I tend to appreciate all the versions of the character. I don't have like a favorite, so uh, I feel comfortable having an arc like the current one with with Mike on art is there's a lot of street level stuff a lot of like mm. you know picking yourself up off the ground and continuing to fight but then also in in my run with Jorge the first one i had batman fall from the moon like <laughs> that is that is very yeah. like that's very cosmic level like yeah batman plan that's for everything um uh wackiness that kind of leans more into like the grant morrison you know batman shoots dark side and gets sent back in time like it's they're all they're all um they're all accurate versions of the character because it's Batman. Yeah. It's a sense in which the, the breadth and history actually like works to your advantage in that case. But it, you mentioned Grant Morrison and, and I mean, they seem to loom pretty large over your work in particular. Is there a sense in which their run on the book was like a starting point or a departure point for you? You know, it kind of happened naturally because the starting point was really, I hate to bring them up again. Uh, Mark Wade, um, <laughs> the, the the Justice League, the Tower of Babel yeah. uh, storyline, because there's the question uh, there, you know, for the Publishers Weekly readers that might not know, the storyline was about Batman had a contingency plan for all the members of the Justice League in case they went rogue or bad, uh, and that was hacked and created all sorts of problems. And so the question in my head was, well, what's the contingency plan for Batman? Yeah, and so so really, it, it started from Mark's run, and then uh, once I realized that Zero and R is kind of the perfect uh, switch for that, then then it started to go more heavily into Grant's stuff. But like, I, I think Grant's run is it might be the best Batman run of all time. Mm. Like, there have been so many great runs; it's hard to actually like, you know, pinpoint a best. Um, but uh, because I tapped into the Zero and R stuff and I'm kind of leaning heavily into that and then like what that kind of means for the storyline, uh, I've definitely given the impression that <laughs> this is me doing a bit of a a lesser impersonation of Grant Morrison. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, they're a genius. Like, yeah. I can't, I can't yeah. compete who, with that, that on, yeah. on, on, any, on any level. And it's, there is a part of me that's like, well, it's folly to even like put Zirin R in this. But I think that's the fun of comics and you kind of have to play with that history and not be intimidated by it because that's what everyone before you has done. Like Grant picked up the Batman of Zirin R comic from like the Silver Age and uh and and revamped it for their run. And so I'm kind of I'm doing the same with 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 Grant's take on that idea and uh, expanding it out and having fun with it as well. I hope I hope they they see it as me just loving their work and wanting to play with it and not um, <laughs> retroactively ruining it. You haven't talked to Grant about it yet. No, no, it's it's a weird one. Like I don't know, I don't, I yeah, I don't know if I should like, let them come to you. Yeah, like I feel like if I if if they had a problem with that, I would have heard about it. And frankly, if they did have a problem with it, I'd probably scale it back. I'd probably change a lot of plans because you don't want to kind of piss off the creators. Even though, again, like he he's the creator, but also he he played with Batman history for it. 
uh, yeah, like in the past, I've, I've I've had it relatively easy in terms of like comparisons to original creators and how I would handle reworking their creations. Like uh, back at Marvel, my first book was Howard the Duck. And I would not have written that book if Steve Gerber was still alive. Like, there's just no mm. way. Like, because mm. he's just so linked to that that character. But I, I, because he was no longer with us, and I don't believe in ghosts, <laughs> I, I went ahead and, and and wrote it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I have no idea how what Grant thinks about all this because I'm sure they've found out that I've. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Was there an R? They seem to be pretty plugged into things. Yeah, I get their Substack and I quickly search for mm-hmm. my name. <laughs> like, oh, it hasn't come up this week. All right. <laughs> it doesn't change their run at all. Like that's the one thing. No, of course. Economics. Like, you know, we all have our lines as to you know uh, what we'll do and what, what we won't do within the corporate uh, comics world. And uh, and like my hope always with this kind of thing is that it brings even more attention to those stories. Like if 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 somebody yeah. picks up my issue where Zeranara appears, which is like a wild looking thing, I give just enough context to kind of bring mm-hmm. the reader along, but not so much that they fully understand the history. If that prompts them to go to the comic shop and be like, I need to know more about this and, and they yeah. get a copy of like Batman RIP or uh great. That's fantastic. That's what the editor's notes are for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I had to give an elevator pitch as as we call it in my industry for failsafe, it seems to be that that Batman is the ultimate Batman villain. Yeah. Yeah, and like it can be a bit cliche at times. You know, the hero kind of creates their own worst enemy, mm-hmm. but um, but out of all the heroes, I think Batman can is best to fit that bill. And yeah. uh, it's not just that; it's I've tried to frame it as the um, the paranoia of youth. Like you know, um, one of the things I recognized when I came on board the title is that this version of Batman. Uh, is a little bit older. Like they've they've aged him up a little bit, which makes sense considering there's so many uh, Robins around. And because he's older, like his outlook has changed. And um, I like the thought of the younger Batman being paranoid and coming up with all these kind of these fail safes. And uh, and now the current day Batman, who maybe recognizes that maybe those things aren't necessarily needed now that he has like a group of uh, friends and family around him. He's not the sole lone wolf out in the night air anymore. That he recognizes those mistakes of youth. So yeah, Batman's his own worst enemy, but it's like Batman at various points in his life is his own worst enemy to himself now. Is it a book about becoming a parent? On some level, sure. Uh, especially in these kind of the opening chapters. But I'm also like, I want to dive into the question of when you inspire people to follow you, are you now responsible for mm. them all? Mm-hmm. And, and what does that look like? Especially when there's, when there's violence involved in like uh, a lot of life or death situation. 
So, uh, you know, it's been mined a lot in the past, the Jason Todd relationship, you know, the Robin that he failed, the Robin that died and came back and is like a mass murderer and all this stuff. And even I mined it in my kind of first modern Batman story, which was like uh, a Batman Red Hood uh, piece in the anthology that DC was putting out. But I think that that still looms large over all of it, especially since Red Hood is a character that exists in the comics and he's a mass murderer and Batman failed him on so many levels. That doesn't get swept under the rug uh, very easily. And and so I'm, I, I want to play a lot with that. Tim Drake is the Robin that I've been using in this run. And part of the reason for that is in his title... He's come out, he's dating, he's like, and part of that process is figuring out what makes you happy. And mm. um, Batman's not a happy character, but he sees the potential for happiness in his son. And he's like, how can he, how can he have a happy life if he's, you know, crippled in an accident and harmed all the time? And like his loved ones are in danger. Like there's so much wrapped up in this lifestyle. And to see his son kind of move towards happiness makes Batman question whether or not all of this is right. Like, should it just be a one-man war on crime? This is also cliche to a certain extent now, I think for good reasons, Um, but it is, it sounds like it's also a book about generational trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, I mean, that's a thing in uh, our culture these days and um, even within my family and my wife's family and, uh, friends that I know, yeah, dealing with that kind of inherited trauma. Yeah, yeah, Robins are <laughs> Robins are inherited trauma in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, they have their own for sure, but you know, they're kind of they're along for the ride, and they're picking up that vibe off old Bruce Wayne there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I the the I, I guess sort of my my gets back to the idea of, of youthful arrogance youthful hubris I, i'm not a parent myself but but i'm told that part of the experience you know of having kids is sort of going through a lot of those sort of early earlier transgressions of, of your youth yeah oh yeah for sure yeah I'm, I'm not a parent uh either but yeah talking to my friends and my parents like yeah yeah it's pretty wild what uh what you go through when you become a parent yeah. in terms of like just recontextualizing your history your family history. And this is, as we said, it going to be inevitable for a character that's been around for, I mean, I guess basically a hundred years at this point, the idea of a Batman book without Batman is not a new one, but that does open a lot of interesting avenues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like in, in our second arc with, with uh, Mike, we're also, we're experiencing a Gotham that didn't have a Batman. It's it's just lousy in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting point, and I think that that is one that Batman has grappled with over the decades. Of am I actually helping? Yeah, yeah. Like you definitely see um, how his absence affects Gotham City in in our second arc. Like it is better to have a Batman there, but there's I very consciously did not have the other Robins in that second arc 
because I want that to be kind of a question in his head as well. Like, where are they? Mm-hmm. Where's Dick Grayson and Tim Drake and Jason Todd? Like, did they actually go have good lives? You know, are they firefighters or something? Like, what, you know, what ended up being their calling without me there? That was a pretty deliberate choice on my part to like not have them there to keep that question kind of hanging. It's it's a wonderful life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a reason why that framework keeps coming back over time. Is it is it makes a lot of sense? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are at least like theoretically like built in limits to to the character. Do you have your own guidelines as far as how willing, how far you're willing to push it? And I ask, and you brought this up before the um, the falling from the moon segment. Yeah. This is obviously a relative statement relative to Batman and superheroes yeah. in general, but <laughs> is there some sense in which even something like that has to be grounded in some reality? Oh, oh, definitely. Like it has to have a a whiff of plausibility to it, as plausible as a man able to just swing around a city. Which okay. is like a with a hook and a and a line. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that, no. That's that's the uh yeah, that's the kind of the baseline. Yeah, yeah. And like that issue in particular, like I brought in uh my friend uh another name drop, Ryan North, who was the who's the smartest man I know. He wrote yeah. a book on like supervillains and science and he's a computer engineer mm-hmm. and um I ran the scenario past him. I'm just like, this is what I what I think would happen. This um, in order to plausibly have him make it back to Earth, considering you know the Batman of it all. Um, can you help me kind of piece that together? And, and and so together with Ryan, we kind of worked out like the math behind it and like um, the possibility of it and how um, how the 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 gravitational uh, force, how far you can push it uh, before your body basically explodes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that was that was a ton of fun to actually figure that out because it is it is ludicrous. Like I recognize mm-hmm. it's, it's ludicrous. But it's also cool and badass and like uh the kind of fun that I love in a in a wild uh Batman comic. If the floor is swinging around the city, then the ceiling is Superman, right? Like we we already have yeah. a Superman. You don't want Batman to be Superman. No, no, there has to be a feeling of danger and he has to like kind of work yeah. it out. He has to use his kind of like his heightened intellect and like, you know, the various gadgets to, to figure it out. It can't be an easy task, you know, which is why I also, you know, you have him pass out at some point during this, like, mm-hmm. like even he cannot kind of get through unscathed. Uh, but yeah, to, to me that, that issue is like, that's what comics is all about. It would look stupid in a movie. I know it would look stupid in a movie. <laughs> like, like, yeah. I don't need I don't need Robert Pattinson falling from a moon. Yeah, that might be um, like a Schumacher. Maybe, choice. yeah, yeah. Like I would, I would, I would, I would. Don't get me wrong. I'd be on my feet cheering if Robert yeah. Pattinson as Batman mm-hmm. fell from the moon and survived. But this is this is this is the four color comics version of Batman, and um, you can definitely have a lot more fun with it. You know, in, in the first arc, I really wanted to like just bounce him around as much as I could. Like I want, I wanted to go to the bottom of the ocean with Atlantis. I wanted to go to the moon. Uh, I wanted to be on the run and this cool looking villain that also probably wouldn't work in live action. Like, you know, a lot of people kind of, you can kind of see them writing comics for movies, TV, like yeah. oh, if I create this kind of character, like I could picture the actor playing them, or this storyline would work really well with 
the future vision of Marvel or DC. And I'm just, I just can't, I can't do that. Like I've been hired to write comics and I love comics and I love how wacky they can be. And like, you know, even, even over, you know, once again, sorry, DC publicity over in daredevil, like the stuff myself and my artist Marco were doing on daredevil is just like big and wild and globe trotting. And like, it's, it's the total opposite of like <laughs> the Marvel universe version yeah. of daredevil that's seen in the, uh, uh, MCU. But that's what makes it fun. Like the challenge of like, here's here's the story here's batman falling to, from the moon i dare you to turn this into something <laughs> <laughs> besides yeah. the comic which is like just such yeah. a fun form of entertainment yeah no it's beautiful it, it's beautiful recognizing the um not only the limits but the um there are certain things that you can do in that medium versus you know, pretty much any other which is which is beautiful yeah like movies and tvs have caught up for sure like you look at the marvel uh yeah. movies and like you know Endgame, and I just remember just laughing seeing Spider-Man on a winged horse with the Infinity Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's so stupid. I can't believe they're doing it. Um, in a good so way. So like in a good way, yeah, yeah. Like like the movies have kind of caught up, but also I forget who you know first talked about it. Like that there's no there's no budget Hollywood budget yeah. on a comics page. Like you just you can do whatever you want on it. I sounds think. like something Jack Kirby would have said, but I'm just yeah, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It does sound like a Kirby thing. So yeah, to make it as like kind of art, I don't want to say artistic, but stylized as possible, and uh, as big and fun and kind of wild as possible. I think I think that's I think that's the purpose of comics uh, when it comes to like the kind of the big superhero stuff. How far into that year that you pitched? are not 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 comics that have actually come out but have you have you written um i've written all the way to i just sent in the script for 136 and i've got the next five or six issues plotted out so i'm jumping into those this week what what percentage of that sort of initial pitch though or do you have you hit do you think I think I think the initial pitch I've, I've kind of I've hit the storyline that we're starting up now is stuff that kind of came about after the first couple of weeks on the job. Where I was like, hey, you know, this is going well, and this kind of sparked what uh, mm. what I think is the next act in this. And uh, and so, like in my head, I've got I've got several years kind of going around in my head, and I've got like approval for like you know the first two years. Uh, but you know these things can change. You know it's. I've been very fortunate in in the sense that I've been able to kind of leave jobs, instead of being forced off jobs. Yeah. The only the only yeah. time I can think of like where I was like, told that oh we have to cancel this book is Star Lord. It was uh, the week after issue one hit the stands. <laughs> I was told oh we're only going to five issues. I'm like oh, well that really sucks. But for the most part, like I've been able to kind of determine the end of my story and kind of leave books, which has been uh, which have been great, and I recognize that as being kind of a privileged position to be in when people kind of struggle to kind of get their five issue series turned into ten. But with Batman, like it feels so endless because of all the iterations of Batman 
you know, I've, I've basically told DC, like, unless something changes and my, my brain says I, I can't do this anymore, like, this is the job that I'm going to be fired from at some point. <laughs> and I, re- I recognize that because it's DC's big book. And if, like, if yeah. I do, if I have a misstep and the sales don't work out or I, I butt heads with somebody and they decide to get me off the book, that's the only re- way I'm leaving the book. I like that you're setting the bar at, at being fired from the <laughs> the uh, that, that's what I told them because like they've yeah. DC's offered me more books and I said no because of my schedule and also because I just I want to focus on this and make it as good as I can and I told them like you know I can't do any other books but um, this is the book I'm doing and I'm going to do it for as long as uh, they'll have me yeah I mean I mean there's a sense in which character wise where you've kind of you, you've hit you've hit the top like where do you go from Batman I don't I, yeah I don't really see it like that um like you go to plastic man like i don't know you have fun like do you do, Cole, you do yeah. The, yeah you do the books like I, there was a creator years ago another writer who really thought of his career that way like mm. you have to like always be going up a character and then you know they hit the top and they're like what else can they offer me i'm like yeah. i don't know just like a thing that you enjoy yeah like you know, I, well, that's I, and that's and that's the Grant Morrison route is like you know going to Animal Man. Yeah, have fun. Like, I mean, you know, partly because he's one of my best friends, uh, but I look to Matt Fraction's career where he had that that rise. You know, he was doing like entry level Marvel books like Punisher War Journal or whatever, moving up to Iron Man, moving up to X Men, and doing his event, his Fear Itself event, like doing the big time you know, deal. And then like he stepped back from it all. Did sex criminals with me, but also like he did Hawkeye, which is mm. an absolute joke book. Yeah. To be offered pre, at pre that him time. being a movie star. Yeah, exactly. To be offered at that time. And he was like, Oh, I'm going to have fun with this. And he did. And he made the best book of the year from Marvel. Yeah. I think it was like their top trade seller too. Like, and there are a lot of writers that would not do that unless they're just like desperate for the paycheck. Like, oh my god, like you know, I I blew it on Batman. Like, I've got to take, uh, you know, character D to make my rent. Um, but for Matt, it was like, oh no, like you can have fun there. There's not there isn't the pressure of X Men or the big event. So I'd imagine if I got fired from Batman, <laughs> if I still had an itch to do the stories for Marvel and DC, I would. I would find something that I just really love yeah. to do. Like you can, anything else is folly as far as I'm concerned. If you're planning your career on like, again, like climbing that, that weird ladder of characters, like, I don't know. That's, that's, that's not, that's not a creative pursuit then. Yeah. You alluded to this a little bit with, you know, like suddenly like, Oh, I'm writing, you know, something about a Batarang or, or the Batmobile, but the double-edged sword of getting to do exactly what you want to do is that at a certain point, like you have to remind yourself that you're doing this completely ridiculous thing. Yeah. I mean, it helps to have uh, a life partner who keeps you in check. Like, <laughs> I remember one point years ago when I was doing Spider-Man, I walked into the house all angry and I watched into the kitchen and my wife is there and I was just like, I was furious. And I was just like, Oh my God, like the spider office totally screwed me over. Uh, I need to use Dr. Strange, but <laughs> it turns out he's on the other edge of the universe fighting this demon. And she's like, can you listen to yourself? Like that is not, uh, <laughs> that is not a real problem. Yeah. Like 
So whenever I talk about my issues with work and she talks about her issues with work, even as the words leave my mouth about like trying to figure out which Robin to use for the story or whatever, it sounds so stupid that <laughs> it, it, it checks me again. Like, oh yeah, no, my job is like, it's fun if I let it be fun. Yeah. I am both old enough and, and immersed enough in the indie comics. M- most of the writing that I do around comics or through my podcast, it's all, it's like indie alternative stuff. So I, I do remember, you know, your, your pre superhero stuff. And obviously, especially in those days, this has changed to a certain extent, but especially in those days, there, there was certainly like no really clear path from indie comics, you know, alternative com- comedy, you know, humor comics into superheroes. Yeah. Did it, did this seem, did this seem like an unrealistic dream? I mean, it wasn't a dream. Mm. Like, like I, I, I worked at a newspaper and I put out kind of my own comics, either online or in print, whenever I could, because I enjoyed making them. But the, it wasn't with a goal in mind. I didn't have a career kind of planned out because I already had the career. Like, Sex Criminals, like, blew everything open because, like, it was a fun idea and I wanted to work with my buddy and then it opened these doors. And, um, and then, yeah, it was, it's, Will Moss, the editor at Marvel, contacted me and said, "Like, hey, San Diego Comic Con a few years ago, I bought Monster Cops from you, which was like mm. an all ages anthology mm-hmm. book that I did." And and he was like, "It turns out you can write too. Like, you're not just yeah. the artist on Sex Criminals. So, do you want to pitch like Howard the Duck? Like, doing the joke book got me into the joke book at Marvel, mm-hmm. and the the uh, the sex joke book at Image." <laughs> But then, but then, like stories evolved, and like the joke books kind of became a bit more serious, a bit more heart, and then <laughs> got darker and crazier. And you know, I'm writing Batman. Mm-hmm. 